Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond. And I'm your co-host, Ice Artificio. Today, we have Dana frecker Duty from Juno. Dana, really nice to have you. Hi, Brad. Hi, Ice. Hi, super excited to have you on, Dana. Uh, thank you for your time today. And before anything else, we'd love to introduce you to the audience. Could you tell us more about your marketing journey, how you got here? Sure. I ended up at Juno just six months ago. It is a very hot market. We are a virtual event and 365-day community engagement software platform. And how I landed at Juno is I had a 20-year career at a company called the Expo Group that produced big, massive trade shows and events. So I was working in marketing and communications, a lot of PR, a lot of content marketing at the Expo Group. I had quite a journey there as the company grew and as I grew, right? And really started looking at how technology can support events and trade shows and just got a little bit more passionate as it became clear during the COVID times that this was really going to be an accelerant for organizations using technology in gatherings to gather people, to bring people together for connection, for education, for commerce, for all of it. So started looking at where would be a good fit. I always like working for entrepreneurs. And so that's where I landed. Juno is less than a year old. Wow. So it's a technology startup company and we're raring to go. That sounds exciting. So you guys are in the live events industry. So how does the marketing look like over there? So it's been interesting, Ice, just in these last six months, because for live events and hospitality, one of our biggest markets and the market that I've always really concentrated on is associations, member organizations. And those sales cycles are long. It's a group of buyers. It's not just, you know, a one buyer making one choice. It's groups of buyers coming together to make the decisions because it's such a big one for the organization. And it's very relationship-based. And some of it is a stigma, but there's just enough truth to keep the myth perpetuated that associations are slow to change and enjoy the status quo. That's certainly not true of all of them. But because of that, those sales cycles were long. We were talking to customers for a very long time. Enter event technology, where SaaS companies are doing this whole flywheel thing and running through and you do the demo and you do the trial and here we go. And two months, three months later, you're on the platform and and you're rocking and rolling and you're paying every month or whatever it may be. So marrying those two kind of marketing philosophies, honestly, those two kind of buying persona things in this time of COVID has been very interesting for me. I've loved the challenges. I've come at everything with a, hey, I've never done it that way before, but it's worked for other technology companies. Let's dig into the data. Let's try it, see how it works. And, oh, you know what? Our customers aren't kind of ready for that, right? They don't want to go that fast. Or our customers have to go through these extra steps. So we do need to build a relationship and make sure that they understand that we have their back. And other marketers may be experiencing that in other fields too is this real marriage of relationship marketing and technology. Very cool. So let's dive into today's theme, 
which is interacting with your guests and with your audience at an event. So now that a lot of events have become virtual, that obviously makes that interaction look very different. Mm -hmm. Let's dive into how other marketers out there can really create a great event experience now that it's virtual when it comes to interaction and building those relationships with others. Yeah, it's really with the virtual events, Brad, I think that the digital marketing team within organizations is more important than ever before. And they have to be very closely aligned with what the event marketers may be doing, because I think in a lot of organizations, those decisions are still sitting with maybe the event team as some of these events went to virtual. I think that those digital marketers, though, really understand what kind of content works online. Because really, if you have a booth, quote unquote, at a virtual event, you have a web page, mm-hmm. right? Now, you have sometimes, if it's in the right program, Juno, <laughs> you have a highly interactive web page, right? Where you can be scheduling meetings with people, you can be sharing out your content, you can post up videos. But I think maximizing the knowledge within the team of what is working digitally for your company enables the person in charge of that virtual event presence to make the right decisions about who is appearing there, what is appearing there, and how to follow up afterward. And what we're really seeing is important is the pre-show marketing. Mm. So, you know, if you're at a trade show, let's say, and you're walking down the aisle and something catches your eye, you may approach that booth. Mm -hmm. But in the virtual space, there's less of that walking down the aisle stuff. People aren't used to just clicking around to find things online, (laughs) right? So it's almost antithetical to what our web behavior is. The other thing is to really push your thought leaders. So the best packages that we see clients create for their exhibitors and their sponsors when they're putting on the annual conference is ones that include thought leadership sessions or even moderation of roundtables. So if I'm a marketer for a company and I need to be at a certain show because we're always there and our buyers are there and we're used to interacting with those people in a physical trade show or event... In that virtual event, it's even more important that I work with the organizer. I'm not just buying stuff off the shelf. If you can work with the association that's organizing it or whichever media company is putting it on, negotiate with them to get those roundtable discussions. We've seen some organizers try and lock down the number of emails or messages you can send out of a virtual event platform. We advise against that, but just know that those things may be negotiable for your company. If you're a company putting on these things, getting those tangible pieces, right? Have you done a virtual event, Brad, where they send you the little box ahead of time or they send you the coupon to get a free lunch, right? Those are nice touches that give that tangibility, which is something that we always were preaching in event marketing, right? You got to hit those five senses. And so... In the virtual event marketing on these platforms, 
one, you're using your thought leadership, you're pulling in your digital marketing team because they know what's going to work online. And you're trying to incorporate as many of the physical touches that you can, which may be follow-ups afterwards. It may be telephone calls. At this point, we're ready for, you know, maybe a salesperson to go and meet with people online. So it's kind of a crazy time, but I think that those are three things that people can use to help advance their virtual event success. I love that. And I feel like this might be the same answer, but just to iterate it for the audience, I feel like so many virtual events nowadays maybe are taken less seriously than if you take that time to actually go out somewhere and spend time somewhere and interact with others. Or there's like virtual event fatigue of differentiation of your event. What are some things that marketers can do to really make their events stand out, make the experience engaging? It's not one where they're kind of have it pulled up and half-heartedly watching different keynotes and all that. Right. Because you see this thing where, you know, that webinar could have been an email. Mm -hmm. Just like before when we were saying that meeting could have been an email. Oh, yeah, that entire online event could have been an email. Um, we are seeing roundtables work really well where more people get to talk. So it's really the connection piece because people don't necessarily want to come to a webinar or virtual event and just be talked at. They want to be part of the solutions for other people and have their voice heard. So creating the sessions that enable more people to talk and share is great Again, there's technology limitations in certain platforms that allow for that or disallow for that. The connection piece is really the big one. And sometimes you hear a lot of pushback, Brad, of, oh, I'm not going to you know, connect with people online or I don't trust people. Some of my best friends, I originally became aware that they were even walking the planet Earth because they were on Twitter. Mm. And so that is a medium in which I'm comfortable and I use Twitter and all of a sudden we had this little community on Twitter and all of a sudden, hey, we were in the same city at the same time or we were at an event together. And so we've used social media to begin and advance relationships for years. So using the virtual event thinking about it in that term of what relationships can you be beginning and what relationships can you be advancing with this virtual event and what kind of content will actually help you achieve that. It's probably not going to be your VP of product just standing up there and listing out all of the updates that just came out in 2.4 or whatever. Yeah, I completely agree. I think those types of events maybe could just be a video too that that you watch if there's no Mm -hmm. interaction there. Right. When it comes to that interaction and creating these roundtables and creating this medium for people to build those relationships and connect with others, what does that look like tangibly? How exactly would a roundtable that's well done look both from the company perspective and the guest perspective? So is faces... (laughs) Right. So there's no camera off opportunity platforms where they do enable faces to come on, but also think about the best conversations that you've had at a physical event or even at a party with your friends or after your church service. Right. They're not groups of 20 people that gather to talk. The best conversations are when there's three, four, five, maybe pushing into six and seven. So keeping those roundtables small 
The other thing that we find helpful is to give specific talking points. Look, I'm holding up my hands here. Like people can actually see my list of talking points, (laughs) but have that available and have a moderator or at least someone who's kind of seated with what the next question should be so that they can get the conversation going. Mm. So you kind of take your whole list of attendees, break them up into these small groups, and then assign a moderator for each group and then have a facilitated discussion of questions amongst all the people in that group. Yeah, and depending, Brad, I think on who the audience is and how comfortable they are I mean, I think an organizer or even a marketer putting on an event kind of knows the the people, right? So maybe they know, hey, you know what? Let's get these 20 people that we know to be the session leaders because we think that they can actually shape a conversation. Those people who are good at dinner parties of, of coming up with interesting topics so that it does feel a little bit more organic. But yeah, there definitely has to be a little structure too. <laughs> it's an art, right? Between the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the organic conversation, but also people getting something out of it. Exactly. How do you write those questions? What would be a good format to follow as you're creating your questions? Start at the end. What do you think that people want to know? What do you think that people are challenged with right now? What are some of those big conversations? Like what's keeping you up at night? Sometimes those big conversations and then worked into little topics. So if you started with a, hey, what's keeping you up at night? You could have people going off the rails about how their business is faltering or how they're worried about X, Y, and Z political situation. Um, So some of those big topic conversations, Brad, and then some of the smaller ones, like have you dealt with X in your business and how did you overcome that? The other big one is, have you had any failures lately that you'd be willing to share what happened? Mm. That's always a good one. I love that. And when it comes to picking those moderators, then as a marketing leader, do you recruit salespeople in the organization or who, who tends to be that moderator in each group? If you can get the introverts to do it rather than the salespeople, I think mm. you're going to be better off. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, just because I think a lot of times great moderators are great listeners. Mm -hmm. I think listening is it. Yeah. I like that. So, yeah, if you have a very well trained sales team and they're great listeners, then absolutely. But also, depending on the type of the event, if you can choose somebody who is more of a peer rather than someone from your own company or a a boss type person. Totally. So I'm another marketer out there listening, you know, I'm thinking about my event strategy. I want to create an event where there's a lot of interaction and opportunity to build relationships. What are the landmines or what are the traps I should avoid? Uh, What do you see companies doing that it's like, don't do that? Yeah, it's, I just want to say like, you kind of alluded to this, Brad, is like, don't create a bad, boring one. I'm seeing a really big pushback against panels right now. Mm. We're getting to the point where we've seen unprepared and people who just are going by the seat of their pants and they're not treating it as they would in a physical environment. They are not dressing for the part. They're not good with their audio. They haven't practiced, not just on the platform, but they haven't even practiced their material. So it's a time 
it's a huge time resource to sit down with each of those speakers and go through, you know, here's what we're expecting of you. Here's what we want from your content, but setting those expectations and reminding people of those expectations can really make or break the event. Mm -hmm. Audio. If people don't know they need good audio by now, they're done. Right. Ice. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I would not share how much I, uh, how much time I put on my audio, but yes, I agree. <laughs> so let's zoom out a little bit. I know you've been in marketing for quite a while. And one of the funniest or most interesting things about marketing is there's always that unpredictability and you need to take risks. So what would you say is the craziest marketing initiative you've done in the past? We have done some, what I would consider to be guerrilla marketing tactics mm-hmm. at physical events, which always seems First of all, events in and of themselves are crazy, Mm -hmm. right? Like if someone were to say to you, I went to an event and did a trade show booth, that like already ticks the box that it's crazy. But very early in my career, we had a campaign that we came upon to promote the customer service of the company. And it was called Does Your Service Stink? So we had an ad campaign and all the industry rags. And it was just kind of a black background. Does your service stink? We had them sign NDAs. So nobody knew who was behind it. And as we got to the live event, we were going to reveal if your service stinks, this is what you need to be doing about it. And so we focused on the bathrooms in the convention center. Oh, and Gorilla Marketing Style went in there with removable stickers on the mirrors, behind the bathroom doors. The organizers were coming to the booth and saying, I think you left this in the bathroom, right? Because we weren't really (laughs) supposed to be doing it. It wasn't a sponsored thing. So that was definitely one of the craziest, though. Sounded fun, too. And we had an oxygen bar in the booth. (laughs) Everybody's, yeah. That's good. Yeah, it was fun. Well, as we wrap it up here, what final words of wisdom or advice do you have for other marketers listening today? Oh, my goodness. Don't take yourself too seriously. Love it. Is that valid? Yeah, I love that. (laughs) I think that rings true no matter how old or young you are. Sometimes people need to hear it. And we have a saying around here, too, is there's really no such thing as a content emergency. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think we need to remember who we are and what we do for a living. Totally. I like that. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast and sharing all your insights today. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Thank you both. Thanks, Dana.